they were there when history was made. Rackham Tour is a storyteller. Welcome to the Sports Rackham Tour. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James at the buzzer! The Sports Rackham Tours dusts off the great American art of storytelling. From the players, coaches, media, the people who were there. Smith corks one in the right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. Go crazy. Now, here's Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Sports Rockin' Tours, a show that presents observations, recollections, and memories of a select group of storytellers who represent the past half-century or so of American sports. Well, believe it or not, it's football season. And without a preseason, the NFL kicks off this weekend with a full slate of games. It's all about winning. And when you think about a winner, former coach Dick Vermeil comes to mind. A guy who has won everywhere he's been, and he's also one of the most popular people in all of football. The NFL takes pride in great coaches. Many are connected to one team, like Lombardi with the Packers, Walsh with the 49ers, and Bilicek with the Patriots. But there are a few who've managed to win in a number of different cities. And one of the very best is with us today, Coach Dick Vermeil. Well, Coach, I want to start with you back at San Jose State. That's where I went to school a long time ago initially. Your coach, I believe, was the same guy that I had teach a class, Bob Bronson. Yeah, Dr. Bronson, you bet. He was my coach my first year there, Bob Kitchell my second year. Then we, uh, Bob and I maintained, it was actually Dr. Bronson, uh, maintained a relationship all the way until his passing. Yeah, great man, very influential in my career. Well, that's what I was wondering, because I remember him in the class I was at saying that he recommended you and Bill Walsh for a particular jobs, and they, they always put the same thing. He goes, if I had a son, I would want him to be Dick Vermeil. And I thought, what a compliment that is. Yeah, that really is. And he has, he has said that to me. You know, my first coaching head coaching job was at Hillsdale High School in San Mateo. Yeah. And he called me up one day, Dr. Bronson did, and said, Dick, hey, so-and-so, is uh, Frank Collin is going to call you from Hillsdale High School. He's the athletic director and retiring head football coach. And they're going to hire you. Just say yes. <laughs> That's great. Well, I went to Sarah High School, which was really close to Hillsdale High School, and you know oh, yeah. you were well known at that time. I lost to him three years uh, three years in a row. <laughs> yeah, Sarah had a powerhouse for a while. Oh, there. you bet they had. Yeah, they had good football teams. You, know? you bet, really good teams. Well, I think it's interesting too when you were at San Jose State quarterback and you played against Tom Flores. Boy, two great coaches. Who knew that you would come? Uh, battle again in the Super Bowl. Yeah, good coach, good person. Yeah, he's a great guy. And, of course, he he beat me in the Super Bowl, and he also beat me when he was at COP, and I was at San Jose State. So you get your first big shot is down at UCLA, and that had to be exciting. You're going into the Pac-8, and UCLA was not like USC or some of those schools that were always good. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. And you got them to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, our second year there, we beat SC to go to the Rose Bowl. Then we upset Ohio State, and that's the, 
what drew the attention to the Philadelphia Eagles owner, Leonard Toast, to fly out there and offer me the Eagle coaching job. So a lot of things happened when I was at UCLA. Great place to work at that time. I'm sure it still is. It's a lot more modern out there, more buildings. We didn't even have a weight room for the football team when I was there. Wow, yes, it's it's a whole other world. And what was it like? Because you spent your whole career on the West Coast, and then you head off to Philadelphia. I mean, that's kind of a cultural change, wasn't it? Yeah, not so much for me because it was all football. I was in behind closed doors all the time around the field. For my wife, out in the community and in the shops and the grocery stores, she found it to be a very difficult adjustment in contrast to California. Not bad, but just totally different. It took Carol and my three kids uh, a full year to make the adjustment. And that makes sense because it is a different cultural setting. But one thing you picked up on right away, and I guess you've done this throughout your entire career, is you seem to get into the history. I know like with Chuck Bednarik had been uh, separated from the Eagles for a while, and you made sure that he was brought back in. That's kind of important to you, right, to, to remember that history and uh, help set up a new culture. Well, you know, Chuck Bednarik was a symbol of winning, and it's been a long time since the Eagles had won. And I met him at a scholar-athlete banquet one night, and I heard him telling uh, stories, and he wasn't sort of upset with the Eagles and the ownership and that kind of stuff. And so I went over and introduced myself and said, hey, let's get together and drink some wine and just talk about the future of the Eagles. He said, sure. So a week later we met. We drank more than one bottle of wine together. I asked him to be an honorary coach on Sundays and come to practice when he can. And so he did. We paid him a stipend, not much. But it ended up building a great, great relationship between Chuck and I and Emma. Emma's still living, God bless her, 97 or 8 years old. Uh, wonderful lady. And uh, Chuck was a special piece of work. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. That was the last time, really, they had won. You know, they hadn't been in the playoffs. That goes back to 1960. And you get them in there. Uh, when you came in, how do you change the uh, culture? Because they weren't used to winning. Well, a lot of it is changing the people recognizing those you have in the program that are willing to change their way of doing things and really go to work and then eliminate those that don't and then only bring new players in that will meet your philosophy and work standards and and it gives you a chance. And we didn't have any draft choices my first three years too, so we just added practice time. We We figured if you stayed on the field longer, you could get better thinking this, there's no correlation between working less and getting better. I learned that a long time ago. So we just worked very, very hard, and fortunately we started winning. We got lucky on certain guys like Robert Montgomery and Carl Harrison, Charlie Brown, and we traded for the, the Hall of Fame, Claude Humphrey, who was, had been retired, so we brought him out of retirement. You know, so we were you – know, Harold Carmichael was here, here. Bill Berge was here. Frank Lamaster was here. So, you know, we had some players – and it amounted to 12 guys off the original roster in 1976, went to the Super Bowl in 1980, that were on the roster when we took the team over. Only 12 guys. But, you know, I think this work ethic you have, one of the reasons people buy into it is not only does it work and you see winning, but also you're a good guy. I mean, everybody has said that. These people all talk about you that played there. Do you think sometimes that the fact that they know it's not baloney, that you really care about them, will make them work harder when you when you try to tell them to do this. This is something that people buy into because they can see the results. Well, they always have to buy into you before they buy into your process. If they trust you, they'll listen to you, especially true in the NFL, uh, to, even more so today. But 
you, you get them to trust you by being sincere, being honest, and letting them know you care. And the reason you explain why you're working them hard and what you're doing it for and to help them uh, get better so they can play in the league longer and make more money and be more successful than, than have something left when they leave the league. And, and then make sure you don't bring people in that counter all your beliefs and then the beliefs that you have, you've dealt, developed in your players. So it becomes a real, they say, culture. I say it also becomes a community. Well, and I thought what was interesting, I remember the 1980 Super Bowl, I was covering the Raiders at the time, and everybody, uh, you know, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback, and they're all saying, well, you were too hard on the guys in New Orleans, and that was a difference. But every single Eagle I ever talked to or ever read never went along with that kind of thing. It, you know, they, they knew what they were in with because they had bought into this a long time before. Yeah, well, you know, the reason we won the NFC Championship game was because of our work ethic, okay? The reason we lost to the Super Bowl was because of our work ethic. (laughs) You you can't please everybody all the time. We lost the Super Bowl because we played minus turnover football, and offensively we just couldn't get untracked, that's all. And they did a – Raiders deserved to beat us, that's all. And they were a better team that day. That happens, you know, unlike the NBA – Unlike Major League Baseball, it's not a series of best of seven. It's the right. best of one. Right. Yeah. And, but when you get to that level, right, anybody can win. I mean, you really get to the point where there's not so much an upset anymore because you got two quality people from a quality league. I mean, just to get there says something about the team. Yeah, that's a good statement, Steve. I'll tell you this. It takes the same thing to get there and lose because I've done it and get there and win. In fact, my Eagles team did more with less and took longer to get there and lose than my Super Bowl winning team in St. Louis did in three years. They worked harder longer. They put more into it, but we just didn't get it done that day. Do you feel for guys like Bud Grant and Marv Levy that had these great teams, and and people remember that, and what they don't remember is how hard it is to go to four Super Bowls? Uh, Yeah, that achievement is unbelievable. They're unbelievable. They're just great coaches, and they're both in the Hall of Fame. What was it like? You know, Len, I wanted to ask you about Leonard Toes because he hired you and so forth. You know, I didn't, I didn't know him very well at all. But people used to say he was kind of uh, eccentric, much like a, like a Charlie Finley would be in baseball or something. Was he hard to work with, or was he pretty easy for you? He was very easy. Yeah, he wanted to win, and he was very frustrated. And he got to the point of just turning the football over to a coach like myself. And, and say, go coach my football team. Like he says, uh, if you have something serious and you can't handle it, fine, bring it to me. Otherwise, I don't need the aggravation. He says, just go out and win football games. Yeah. He, was, he was very pleasant. He was very, very nice to me. And then you, you take a break, and it was stressful. You're an emotional guy. I mean, you don't hide that. You're an emotional guy, and you work hard. I mean, not, I guess all NFL coaches work hard, but it's it's a lot of your life in those rooms. I always think about those people that just sit there night after night the film's running while everybody else is relaxed and so forth what was it well obviously that worked out because when you came back you actually won a super bowl and you proved that that wasn't a fluke you were winning back then what was it you just needed some time uh to to really to to get you know kind of your philosophy settled or what no well really i I allowed a passion to become an obsession when i was coaching in philadelphia i was i was a mess okay and I just, I wasn't as good a football coach as I thought I should be in the frame of mind that I was in. A, a win did not last very long, and a, uh, a loss lasted forever. 
then. So I decided to take a break. I didn't plan to be out 14 years, but I went into broadcasting. I enjoyed it. They paid you twice as much money to broadcast the game, you know, once a week than coach it seven days a week, okay? Twice as much money. <laughs> In the old days, they did not pay football coaches, you know, a lot of money. So anyway, I enjoyed it, and I had opportunities to go back, but I – I didn't want to find myself in the same hole I was in when I left, so I just stayed away. And I turned down some good opportunities. And the Rams had offered me the job. This was the third time they were offering me the job. So uh, I finally said, you know, if I don't go back now, I I never will. So I'm going to do it. And I went back. And I'm so thankful for John Shaw, Georgia Frontier, and and, uh, Jay Zygmunt that that they gave me the opportunity because they they helped me make it work. What people don't realize is, you were still into the game. You were talking to everybody. Did you find that time off actually helped in terms of talking to all the different coaches and preparing for the game and getting philosophies there and thinking of things? And just, you know, you never got away from it, but you looked at it from a different perspective. Well, you know, I, I was always right. You know, I never lost a game in 14 years. But, yeah, you know, it, it, it gave me an opportunity to evaluate other coaches' methods Locker room attitudes, player attitudes, uh, coaching attitudes, coaching philosophies, work ethics. And uh, every week it was like in a different classroom. And I did the first five years, I did 90% college games and 10% NFL games. And then the next nine years, I did 90% NFL games and 10% college games. So I was around the best coaches. God, there's so many great coaches. You know, Tom Coughlin was one of the best I ever saw coach, and that was at Boston College. Yeah. And uh, what's his name at uh, Kansas State? Bill Snyder uh, was maybe the, one of the finest coaches I've ever seen coach, you know, Tom Osborne. And then, you know, go in and, and sit with Don Shula, sit with, you know, Tom Landry, uh, sit with Bud Grant and all these things. As an analyst rather than a football coach, I learned something every week from those guys. Well, that's what John Gruden says, and it seems like that's the only thing I've seen that's kind of comparable to what you went through is he, he went to broadcasting as well. It'll be interesting to see if he's able to have the same kind of success you did. He says he well, got a lot out of that. I think he can. I think he can do it. I really do. I believe in John Gruden. I've, I've known him since he was a graduate assistant at University of Tennessee working for Johnny Major. So that's a long time ago. And, and I, I respect him. I've coached against him. He's beaten my butt. And I, I I know I know what he is. You know he's a football guy, and I think he's a hell of a football coach. And uh, I really look for him to be very successful bef- before this fifth year. And then you go to the Rams, like you were saying, and sometimes you're just living right. Kurt Warner, talk about how you got him. Well, he was recommended to us by a coach that was coaching in the World League, the NFL Europe. And he called us and asked if we would sign him and then assign him to go play in Europe. Because if, if he was on my roster, I could send him to any team I wanted to in Germany. So I, we signed him because we liked to work out. wasn't outstanding, but he had to work out. You could see he could throw it. We needed another quarterback for training camp, a camp guy. Uh, never did we expect to get what we got. We sent him over to Europe. He played 10 games. He was the best player over there in 10 games. While he was playing there, we found a guard. Over there, that play, ended up being our starting left guard in the Super Bowl, okay, playing on the same team in Germany. But, you know, he went way beyond expectations. What he really needed was a sincere opportunity, not just a tryout, a real opportunity. And when it was dropped in his lap and he became the starter, he never played a game like a rookie. You know, that's which is the, I've never seen anybody do that. 
And now you listen to these guys that draft these number one, number ones and all this kind of, well, we're going to groom him. You know, so-and-so, the, the starting quarterback is going to work with him and help him mature. Heck, Kurt Warner <laughs> was maturing in the arena league. So if you have it, you got it, you can use it. He was went way beyond expectations. It was great for the city of St. Louis, who had suffered through Cardinal football for so many years, and to have that Rams team come in there, and uh, and it was great to see you back there. It just was one of those things where everything seemed to work, and and that Tennessee Super Bowl must have been the highlight of uh, your life, I would think, football wise. Oh, it was one of them. When you get there, you realize it's just a football game. That's what you're doing in the Super Bowl. You're playing a football game. But you know what I really think of all the time is all the coaches that helped me get there, the administrators, the scouting department, the Charlie Armies, the, you know, the Mike Marches, the Al Saunders, the Jim Hannapins, all the coaches. We worked in three years to get there and win that thing. Uh, John, uh, uh, geez, we had so many good assistant coaches, you know. And uh, Frank Gann Sr., our special teams coach, one of the finest coaches I ever worked with, you know. Those kind of guys uh, – uh, just made a difference in that football team. You know, it, Kurt Warner goes from the most valuable player on the scout team in 1998 to the most valuable player in the NFL in 1999, okay? Yeah. No, but that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Nobody's ever done it before. No one will ever do it again. And then Kansas City, which uh, you didn't uh, win the world title, but I know people who live in Kansas City love that time because, again, you made a proud franchise proud again. Are, were you happy to see them win the Super Bowl just for the people out there? Oh, yeah, starting with the ownership, starting with the Hunt family. Wonderful people. Just, you know, I'm just the only disappointment there is Lamar Hunt was not alive to see it happen. He was one of the finest men you could ever meet, let alone be in the NFL as an owner. But the Kansas City people were wonderful people to work for. I had a great coaching staff. We had a great offense. We were probably the best offense over a five year period in the NFL at that time. But we just couldn't stop people enough to win a big game in the playoffs. So we had two teams with legitimate legitimate Super Bowl contenders. You know, that was 2003 when we won nine straight, went undefeated, and then ended up 13-3. and And then uh, we went uh, 10-6 and my last year there, and we didn't get in the playoffs. But uh, that's why I'm excited about them adding an extra playoff game because a team can win 10 because you're in the wrong division, not get in the playoffs. Someone wins eight and eight can get in and other division. It's not right. You talk about stress. A head coach, you know, and now they look at him and they make a lot of money. But how many jobs can you have out in the out in the world where something beyond your control it could put you out of the sport forever, or or you know, get you out of a position right. where you're at? You know, John Wooden told me one time it's really very difficult to evaluate who does the best coaching job. The best football coaches or the best basketball coaches are the coaches that get the most out of the talent they have, regardless of the win-loss record. He says uh, there are teams that win in spite of the coaches. There are teams that win because of the coaches. Okay, What you strive to be is the caliber of a coach that no one else could coach your team better than you're coaching. That's what I strive to do. As I thought about knowing you and what you were doing at that time, the one thing that differentiated you from a lot of coaches is players around the league almost spoke with reverence about you. And, I mean, they, they knew you cared about them as a person, not just a football player. I mean, is that something you've always carried with you throughout your career from back from Hillsdale High School all the way through? Well, I think you've got to be who you are. Because that, I was at Hillsdale High School. All of a sudden, a coach in St. Louis Ram doesn't mean I'm a different person. I'm just older. 
<laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, I've never stopped being a high school football coach. I still looked at those guys as kids. I still think they're kids, you know, and they're not. And I have great relationships with a lot of former NFL players and people that played for me because we had a mutual trust and respect for each other. And we gave each other the best we had to give and, and didn't second-guess them. And uh, building relationships is the only way you can build trust. You know, trust is, trust is not physical. You can't build it by lifting weights. It's an emotional thing. It's an emotional thing. And, it, and the only way you build deep trust is through solid relationships. Hey, really great to catch up with you and chat. Thank you so much, Coach. All right. Appreciate it. You take care. Go to the Vegas Never Sleeps website and check out the Sports Rockin' Tour page. There you can hear bonus content from this conversation, plus a number of other great sports stories. And don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchin. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.